I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Thank you for joining us again in this conversation with the founder of Motherkind, Zoe Blasky. Uh, Zoe and I spoke about her story and what drove her to provide coaching and advice to modern mothers, which, as you can see, is really not an unusual story. It is a huge task to become a mother in the modern world. And Zoe is the founder of Motherkind, a self-empowerment platform for modern moms, where she coaches all walks of life, all moms from global CEOs to full-time moms on how to navigate this very complex challenge of being a mother in the modern world. She hosts the podcast Motherkind, on which I was episode number 145, which is the number one family podcast on iTunes in the UK. She speaks to world-leading experts on a range of topics from self-care to mental health to career, nutrition, and parenting. And uh, The Telegraph celebrated that podcast as the antidote to the toxic perfectionism of modern motherhood, a topic that's really, really dear to my heart, even though I would never understand what it's like to be a mother in the modern world, but definitely a topic that even if you're a man like me, you should benefit from listening to and understanding. So let's continue about Motherkind with Zoe Blasky. Motherkind, when we had the conversation on your podcast, your real work, I think, I mean, Motherkind's amazing, but I think that one-to-one connection you have with people is really, really incredible and deep. And I, I know you love it because you can feel and sense the impact firsthand. But I'm sure you had a few guests on Motherkind that were like, <gasps> what did he just say? Or what did she just say? You know, like really, really eye-opening discoveries or wise words for you. Can you tell us a few, your favorites? Oh, such a good question. Yes, I think without a doubt, you know, Dr. Alexandra Sachs, who's paving the way globally, talking about matrescence, was transformational for me because I didn't know the word. And being able to put that word to it just totally normalized my experience and and my whole community. Like, ah, this is meant to be bumpy and it's meant to feel feel like we don't know what we're doing and, and it's meant to be awkward. And just like when we became a teenager and we hadn't yet become the adult, mm. you know, that kind of period. And it can take years, you know, up to seven years that her studies show the matrescence period can last. And if you have a second child within that time, it kind of starts again, right? So that was incredibly powerful for me. I think the other one was Gabor Mate. So Gabor Mate, you know, we were talking about the guests that have unlocked huge ideas for me. And I think when I really understood from, from Gabor that when a child isn't given that unconditional love and connection, when it's based on conditions, which in reality, most of us are doing that in some way, Sadly. right? Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. That's, just, that's just reality. No one 
is loving their children or their partner or themselves even fully unconditionally because we're all bringing the baggage from the past. But what he really helped me understand is that then we adapt. So if I take my perfectionism as an example, you know, really underneath that piece of perfectionism is, is a yearning for love because children between the ages of zero to seven are in a different brainwave. Did you know this? It's absolutely fascinating. They're in theta, which is the same brainwave as you're in in hypnosis, in deep meditation. Yes. So all of our beliefs about ourselves, about the world, about what's important, about what we need to do for love, get set up in those first seven years. It's also time, here's another dichotomy and tension, it's also the time when as parents you are stressed to hell normally, trying to figure this thing out, trying to work, pay for it all, juggle childcare, you know, very often very distracted, very unpleasant. So we make these adaptations. So for me, perfectionism about if I can do it perfectly, maybe I'll get the love that I crave. Now, it doesn't mean my parents didn't love me. They adored me. But I watched my mum, you know, validate when I did things perfectly. I watched my mum trying to be perfect herself. So there's no judgment. It's not that it's like a condemnation of how our parents parented us. It's just when we have this awareness, it's so powerful. Because then we're then like, ah, okay, so that's what that behavior is about for me. How do I want to do it in relation with my own child, you know, now that I'm a parent? And how can I be more and more present despite all this stuff that's going on for me, knowing that that's what my child really needs? So it was absolutely fascinating for me, Gabor's work. It's work of magic, really, that is expected. Is there, I mean, I normally, normally actually say that my only secret to parenting is unconditional love and reversal of roles, which again, both of them were taught to me by Nibel, right? Unconditional love is the idea of, yes, you can be demanding. You can say, look, baby, I expect you to study because I need you to do something tomorrow. And if you maybe, if you don't do so well, I may be a little disappointed, but I'll still love you, completely love you. And it doesn't affect our love at all. It just affects that we need to work on something together, right? So this was very eye-opening for me because I believe I too was raised with the expectation of like, you can do better, you can do better. Why are you not doing better? But the other one was Nibel's way of saying reversal of roles, which basically said, she said it openly. She said, I'm not them and they are not mine. I don't have the right to tell them that what they want to be. I only have the duty of being there to support them as they search for what they want to be, which I think is almost the opposite of what every one of us parents think we're supposed to do. We're, we're supposed to make them copies of us is what we think, or the best copies of the good parts of us and as far away as possible from the bad parts of us. Nibel was like, no, they may want to be dancers. I wasn't a dancer. That's their choice. I don't care. My view is if they want to be dancers, I need to support them to become the best dancers they can be. And that's a very different way from I tell them what to do. Those to me were the, I think the core two. What would your core two be? Well, that's a great question. Can I just reflect on something that you said? Because I think it's so powerful. Is I, think, I really think what, what you described then about they come through me, but they don't belong to me is such a philosophical question about what you believe as a parent. Because 
do you believe that your children come to you ready to be molded? Or do you believe, you know, that they don't know anything and they need to be taught? And we as the parents are fully responsible for kind of molding these little beings into who they're going to have to be to succeed in the world. Or, which is what I believe, and it sounds like what you believed as a family, which is that they come to us whole. Hmm. They come to us, you know, and I guess we're going down a quite spiritual path now. This is quite, this is quite a deep idea, but that children come to us you know, fully formed. Of course, they don't know how to eat and potty train, but but on a on a deeper level, they know how to be present. They know how to connect with joy. They are pure joy and pure love. And that is what, if you ask most adults, what are you looking for? You'll know this from your work. They'll say, I just want to feel happy. I just want to feel present. I just want to connect with joy. They might say different shades of that, but that's really what they're saying. And yet children innately do they do they do it right Mm. and I was talking to someone once I can't remember who it was and I said I really want to go on this meditation retreat uh, but I can't because I've got these young babies at home and he kind of laughed at me I can't remember it was some a podcast guest and he said you don't need to go on a retreat you have children at home (laughs) watch them right Mm -hmm. get on their level be as present as they are and no no meditation teacher is going to teach you better than than your children would about being present, about being curious, about being accepting, about being open. So I kind of totally agree with that. The reverse for me is like, what can I learn from my children? Because I really want, ultimately want to be a bit more like them. The other <laughs> thing that is, that is mind-blowing to me is that almost every client I've ever had, and I'm, I'm really interested to hear your view on this as well, struggle to connect to their feelings. They struggle to connect oh, with yeah. their authentic self, you might call it they're kind of always pushing down their feelings and that's manifesting in stress, physical ailments. We know all the study on this now of the importance of allowing our emotions to to flow through us. And children do that incredibly well, right? You watch a two-year-old not want to put their shoes on. Like it's unbelievable to me that the way that they just allow the feelings, there's no judgment of the feeling. They're incredible at boundaries. They know what they want, what they don't want, what's going to work for them. All stuff, which as a grown woman, I'm trying to work on, right? How can I connect <laughs> all my feelings? How can I be more boundaryed? How can I get clearer on what I want and what I don't want? So I think it's just absolutely fascinating. And yet what I see is that because of our own experiences, particularly around feelings, you know, being told by our own parents, because it was that generation, right? Don't cry, be quiet, push them down. You know, we then unconsciously do the same to our own children don't cry, don't have those feelings. And so the cycle goes on. So for me, I I think it's a really deep, important question to ask yourself as a parent, like, what do you believe? Like, what is your role? Is it to form these people? Or is it to, as you described beautifully, this two-way street of symbiotic learning and, and a symbiotic transformation together as a family into, you know, who you all are really meant to be and who you can become the massive benefit of the viewpoint that you and I have is it's way less pressure (laughs) because I'm like I'm not responsible for creating their personalities like I'm responsible for them teaching them please and thank you sure but not not their person that's done you know and actually they're going to teach me and show me who they are they already are doing Mm. that just as Ali did and your daughter did to you that's such a beautiful way of saying it. I think we're only, we're, if we're responsible, we're only responsible for not spoiling them, really, for not getting in their way. Like, can we please, please, please stop hindering their 
their journey to their own path. And I think that's really deep. You know, the way you describe it, that they're fully formed, really, I paused to think about this. I think that we, as humanity, are motivated by fear. We're constantly trying to build that insurance policy that our kids will grow up, they'll never be hungry, they'll never feel pain, they'll never feel stressed, they're always going to be okay, they're going to be billionaires, and, you know, everything is going to be fine. Now, of course, the reality is that never happens. So to start with, the ambition is actually futile, it's never going to happen. But in the process, what happens is we we constantly get them further and further away from their nature, which is their state of resonance. It's the state at which they would do best. Okay. And then as we grow older, when you really ask yourself, what do you really want? And in reality, I just want to be back to my childlike self. If you take away all of the industrial revolution and the idea of like, I need to make more money and I need the startup to grow and I need a valuation of this and that, and I need slow mode to download them in another million episodes. You know, the truth is, If I ask myself, what do I want? I want to be peaceful and contented and playful and fun and, you know, just enjoy life. And and it's really quite eye-opening because the only place, so I, I frequently go back to my very dear friend, Jimmy Nelson, who's a photographer of indigenous tribes. You know, he goes out in the in the places in the world where tribes have never really been exposed to civilization. And without that exposure to the civilization, what are we as humans? We're completely convinced that we will be provided for completely. Those tribes, they connect with nature. They know that some days will be tough and some days will be will not be tough, but that's also true in the modern world. And eventually they know that everything will be fine. So, so their rituals are based around that, around children actually learning to live, not going to school, about children actually learning to connect with nature rather than separate from nature so that they can fit in the industrial revolution. It's quite a, a, an intriguing thought. I have not thought about it myself, but I think it's worth uh, thinking about. Maybe we should just get out of the way. They're fully formed. And there's a couple of things that, that really struck me with what you said. I think the first is that you know, most parents will say, I, I just want my children to be happy. And yet when you ask them, well, are you happy? <laughs> yeah. Well, I always turn that question around and I do this thing with clients where I say, I want you to write a list of everything that you want for your children. And they will write joy, connection, purpose, happiness, gratitude, love, playfulness, as you said. And I'll say, right, there's your, there's your list of things to try and cultivate more of in your own life. Mm. Because what we do is we kind of unconsciously think that just by hoping these things for our children, it's, it's, it's going to happen. But as I was describing with the Gabor Mate work, the opposite is true because we're always modeling and molding, often unconsciously. The second thing that really is important to pull out in what you said for me that really struck me is, is, is again, you know, we've, the kind of theme of this conversation for me has been these tensions and these dichotomies. And one of them is, you know, so often, and I do this as a parent, we don't want our children to experience challenge or pain. Mm. Like I shy away from that. Of course it makes rational sense. And yet when I look at my own life, and I guess when you look at yours, you know, all of my big breakthroughs have come from overcoming challenges, from learning uh, how, to, how to have resilience to my own pain. It's actually how we learn oh, yeah. courage and resilience. We can't learn it without challenge. Oh, yeah. 
And yet we say that, right? It's obvious. But then you put that into the parenting arena and it's not obvious at all because what we tend to do is try and smooth over the challenges for our children or make it better or not have them experience any pain or any want. And I'm still learning this. Like, gosh, this is so hard. You know, my daughter the other day came home. She's just started a new school because she's moved and she's like, I haven't got any friends. You know, everything in me wanted to smooth that over for her mm-hmm. and try and make it better and try and fix it. And But I really tried to let her have that challenge herself. And I said to her, okay, so what could you do? How do you feel about that? You know, and that is that is such an easy thing to say, really hard to do because we're so emotionally enmeshed. And yet I know if she can unlock that challenge for herself without me saying, right, I'm going to phone that mum and we're going to have a play date or I'm going to go into school and talk to her about you making friends, she's going to lose all that opportunity for learning that she can overcome these challenges herself. So it's just full of these dichotomies of how we live and what's worked for us. And yet when we become a parent, we kind of get amnesia to a lot of that because of this kind of emotional enmeshment and, and, and the love. I think it's because of an ego and the ego is, is built on what you said a few minutes ago is that the ego is we're responsible. A parent is has the role of doing it all. That's actually an ego. Well, this is a an image, a persona that we assume for ourselves. If if the ego is we are there to support, if that's how we define the role of a parent, then everything becomes different. And I'll tell you openly, I mean, I think one of the reasons why COVID is more rampant in other countries than not, and I'm not a doctor, so don't quote me on this, and it's a very heated topic, is because of how we allow ourselves to be exposed to other things so that our immunity becomes stronger, right? And, you know, again, going back to Jimmy, I asked him if he was traveling during COVID times. And he said, oh yeah, I've been to Africa a few times. And I said, what about COVID? And he said, I asked people in Africa that, and they answered me with surprise. They said, he told them, have you heard of COVID? And they said, yeah, have you heard of malaria? Have you heard of AIDS? Have you heard of all of the things that we've been dealing with for so many years? They've toughened us up and now you guys have a flu and you lock yourselves down and close down the economy, right? And the truth is, you know, when I drop my my cheese and avocado sandwich, honestly, I look at it and I pick it up and I eat it, honestly, for the simple reason that yes, it might cause me a tiny little bit of belly pain, but it will increase my immunity in the process. And I think we don't do that for our children. We, we try to protect them so much with alcohol wipes. And, but humans were not designed like that. Humans were supposed to be running in a forest, drinking from the river, and every now and then, you know, getting a, a little bug here and there. Yeah, that was extreme and we died at age 40. But, you know, you don't have to be the other extreme that is trying to make you live until you're 115, right? It's somewhere in the middle where we allow them to stumble and get up again. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'm really interested in emotional resilience. You know, that fascinates me. And how we can start to cultivate that from a far earlier age Mm. in our children, you know, allowing them celebrating failure yeah you know and and really using that as a way to cultivate that feeling and again it comes back it's kind of full circle it comes back to values you know like 
when I came home with a B, I was kind of asked why it was a B, right, and not an A. <laughs> you know, and that, and that, you know, for sure tapped into my overachiever, my overworking, my perfectionism, my tendency to burn out, my tendency to want to achieve at all costs. Yeah. You know, absolutely, that's that's clear. It doesn't take, you know, a psychotherapist to work that to work that out. Yeah. <laughs> I think it comes back to you know, it's really easy to say, oh, of course it's important to let my children fail. You know, that day that your child walks through, you know, and they have failed at something or they want to quit gymnastics or how do you respond then? Because as you say, that's when that ego comes in. That's when that conditioning comes in. And that's when it gets really hard. And that's when it's really about that, that space that we give ourselves to process and to be more mindful and conscious about that relationship and what we're saying is important through our words and our actions as well as you know what we're thinking is important because often those those don't match up and you know and i think it's impossible to do this perfectly of course but i always say to parents you know if there's a couple of things that are super important to you really think about how you're going to model that how you're going to live that in your family how are you going to really cultivate that and let the rest go because because you know we've got busy stressful lives and mortgages to pay and all the rest of it and it's full-on out there Mm. But if there's a couple of things that are really important, now how can you really cultivate those? It's such a it's such an exciting question for me, because I think you know in any organisation, people will list off the values, and if you ask a family, well, what's important to you as a family? Ninety nine percent of the time, people they wouldn't be able to say. I'm intrigued, by the way, by you saying when you ask parents what you want for your children, they'll say happiness, joy, da 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 da. And then I think the next question should be, so what are your actions producing? I mean, have you ever considered, first of all, if your actions are leading to joy or are they leading to misery? Have you considered if you're actually deliberately putting in in actions that are leading to joy? And I used to have, I will tell you, Aya will, my daughter will celebrate until today. I used to have things that I used to call synthesized memories, which were experiences that I would design beforehand that were basically for the children to remember a moment, right? We're in the car, we're singing this song, we're doing this, and there is that smell of whatever, you know, and and the whole thing comes together in one complete memory that that really, really was driven by my intention of having them remember a wonderful childhood. And how often do we do those things? If If our target for our children is joy, then let's do some actions around that and, and not worry too much about success. I think it's also important when I'm, I'm not saying at all that we shouldn't worry about success, but, but shouldn't our own success as parents be defined by a little more than our children succeeded and maybe be defined a little more by our children succeeded and are happy, right? If we can achieve both of those, so let's put equal effort in them or maybe the right amount of effort in each. It's funny the deviation between the list of what we want and the actions that we do. Exactly, exactly. And that's why asking that kind of question of parents, in a way it's kind of a trick, but in a way it's, you know, I've had people totally change their lives around based on that one idea. It's quite remarkable. And I think it depends on how you define success. Because if you ask the most successful people in the world, and I've, you know, I've, I've had some of them on the podcast, just as you have, do you feel successful? Often they'll say no, or at the peak of their outer success. And this was true for me. You know, I, 
I, I got a first in economics. I went into a, a kind of corporate career on the outside. I looked highly successful. But on the inside, I felt anything but. You know, I was driven by fear. I was driven by a need for validation. I was driven not by purpose and joy and love, which I am today. And yet on paper, I look way less successful, right? On my CV. So I think it's defining, like, what does success mean for you as an individual? And then what does success mean for you as a parent? Like, what would, what do you want to model? Because I think 80% of parenting is modeling. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? So if you're modeling, success is CEO of a bank working, you know, 100 hours plus a week. Guess what? Your child's probably going to get the idea that that's what success means. Either try and model it or pendulum the other way and spend the rest of their lives feeling like they didn't do you proud, which again is a really common experience. And, I, you know, when you unpick some of this stuff, you know, and I've, I've had the privilege of coaching some incredibly high-flying, you know, CEO mothers and, and, you know, I can't tell you how many of them are sat in front of me saying that they're, they're just driven by a need to make their parents proud still, and they might be 50. I know. That drives me mad. Yeah, and I'll say to them, when are you ready to live your life for you? Are you ready? Yeah, I normally literally sit them down, hold them by the shoulder and say, as far as I'm concerned, you look like a fully grown woman or a fully grown man to me. It's not that simple, right? Because as I said, as I described, remember, zero to seven, our subconscious is formed based on what our beliefs. So of course, you're like 50. And you're, why are you still living a life totally out of alignment? But until you unearth what's going on on a deeper level, you'll, you'll never change it. Or you might change it and it won't feel good to you. It won't feel that true alignment. You know, you've really got to get back to, okay, what lessons or what have you absorbed about what success means, about what love means? And, and, you know, so often as humans, we have two main needs, you know, love and connection. And if we think we're going to get that love and connection from being a CEO in a bank, when really we want to be a yoga teacher, we'll always go for the CEO in the bank because we want that love and connection until we do that deeper work to unpick, you know, that I'm lovable as I am, regardless of what I'm doing. This is so profound, Zoe. It's deep work. <laughs> so are you, are you saying, and I think that's, a, that's actually really very, would probably be a, the best way to, to think about this, that instead of focusing so badly about or so immensely on raising your children, when you are a parent, it's time to raise you. This is basically look at you, fix you. Uh, and if you do that well, you will be the best parent out there. Basically. My God, I'm late and you, you have to go for your vacation. I have to go reflect. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, Zoe. It's always such a joy. I want to talk to you for an hour more, but... Oh, likewise, anyway, likewise. Go take care of the kids. Do a few more things for people who will uh, benefit from your work. I'm so grateful for your time. This was a wonderful conversation in every way. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor. And I just, I love connecting with you. So everyone listening, I think this was a, a call for reflection because honestly, if you're a parent already, or if you're not, we agreed that if you're not a parent, you might as well reflect so that you think of yourself getting ready for it, or maybe deciding not to take that choice. But all of it is about reflection. And perhaps the very first thing when you do get into that stage is to 
really understand how you behave and how that behavior is going to shape your children. It's maybe a good idea to raise you instead of raising them. And uh, for that, you will need a little bit of time to slow down and think. So remember, it doesn't matter how busy you are today. There's always a tiny bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.